Jilted Indian. Jilted Indian podcast. It doesn't work out. It does, yeah. There's too many syllables. Damn. Podcast jazz hands. Hi, Jilted Indian podcast listeners. We're back with a new episode. This is Anju. Pooja. Miranda. And we have a guest host with us today, my cousin, Priya. Hi, I'm Priya. I don't know why I waved at the microphone. <laughs> 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 okay, that's funny. The microphone is a sentient being. That's why I... We'll call it Mike. <laughs> that's so funny. All right. And today we're talking about dating, sex, and lies. And um, so we're going to start with our... With our guests, how we always start. Well, you're the second guest, so how we're hoping to always start. <laughs> with we're, all our guests. With all our guests, yes. Going for yeah. Going for it. We're going to start by, Priya, what is your origin story? Oh, man. Like, now I'm thinking I have to have, like, a super awesome origin story, like a comic book. I think that no matter what you say, it's probably going to be awesome. Um, so. Okay, I was born in Houston and then raised in Houston and Taiwan and Dallas, and then I went to college in Austin, um, and then uh, after college went a little bit crazy and then decided to live in an ashram for a while in India, um, and then came back and started graduate school. Several questions. <laughs> yes, that is awesome. <laughs> First of all, let's be real, you were always a little bit crazy. Yeah, okay. Yeah, so Anju has known me since I was born, and yes, that is very true. <laughs> So why did you, I, I, okay, obviously the answer to this is probably because your parents were there. Why did you live in Taipei and how long were you there? Um, I was there for two years and why did I live there? Because, oh, for dad, for dad reasons. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah. Yeah. Your dad got transferred there yeah. for two years. Yeah. How old were you? I was some ages that I cannot and quantify. Two years? So I think I was life. like eight to eight and nine. So Maybe. young, young life. That sounds about right. What was the school situation there? Did you go to like a school for foreigners or? Yeah, I went to the American school and it was awesome. And if you are raising children in Taiwan, I would highly recommend it. Oh, um, cool. Yeah. So I'm look so it sure. out, TAS. <laughs> <laughs> and then you went to, what did you major in in college? Uh, international business and biology with a focus in Spanish because I had to do all of the things. Oh, right. all of the things. Okay. Do you use Spanish now? I do, mostly when I'm drunk. Nice. So, yeah. Nice. Okay, by the end of this episode, listeners, she's going to be speaking to us in Spanish. Right. Um, no, actually, she's not. She's the only one drinking water at this table. Right. <laughs> I w- so, do you feel like you speak it fluently? She does speak it fluently. Wow. I, yeah, so I lived in Spain for a little while, and yes. Um, awesome. I, 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 I think I go in and out of fluency, depending yeah. on how often I'm using it. Now, I'm lame, and I took... Four years of Spanish in high school, and then four semesters of Spanish in college. Me too. And I can only remember the curse words. Me too. And ha- yeah. thank you, high five. <laughs> For or sigo derecho. Like that's pretty much like the directions lesson really stuck with me for some reason. <laughs> and then maybe when I would get angry. Yeah. So the thing that happens with me is I'm trilingual. I speak uh, English, Malayalam, and Spanish. But when I get drunk or angry, all of these languages come out at once. <laughs> so there's maybe like 0.001% of the world's population can understand me when I'm very angry and drunk. <laughs> oh my god, that's so funny. I have tried to learn three different languages and can't, I don't know any of them, but sometimes I construct sentences using four different languages because I only know certain words from certain languages. Like... German, a couple words in Korean, maybe the one or two words I know in Hindi. Cuss words in every language. And Spanish. Well, not cuss words. It's like me trying to say I'm hungry and I want to go eat. It's like four different oh, languages, yeah. you know? Right. Code so, switching also yeah. like makes it so fucking, so awfully... Oh, no, no. Cuss, cuss away. We, we are cussers. Yeah. We have you an cuss. for explicit. Cuss, Yeah, it makes it so <laughs> impossible to like do anything because I'll start speaking in what I think is Spanish and then realize halfway through like oh no I'm speaking to a Spanish speaker in Malayalam I just sound like gibberish now yep that's cool that yeah I'm not fluent but I'm equally not fluent in Malayalam and Spanish so when I tried to speak 
one, which is usually Malayalam, it's Spanish that comes out. And it's like, nope, that's, that's not what I meant to do. <laughs> I will say that sometimes if I'm somewhere where Fox News is on, I feel like I don't understand English. Because so, <laughs> what they're saying makes no sense to me. Um, so what promulgated you to go live in an ashram? Um, sex and lies. Oh, <laughs> shit, that happens at ashram? What? <laughs> no, that's why she hid in the ashram. Okay, oh, I see. Yes. Okay, yeah. okay, okay. Um, wow, how perfect is this? My <laughs> ex-boyfriend turned out to be a shitty, cheating dirtbag, and it drove me kind of insane. And then, you know, like, being an Indian kid, you're, like, raised with all of the promise. Like, you can be whatever you want. And then I got out of undergrad and was like, well, fuck, I don't know what I want to be, really. Mm-hmm. So it was, like, this huge expectation of being something great and then being like, I don't I don't know what that's going to be yet. So I kind of just went a little bit insane and my parents were like, maybe we should, maybe you should go back to India for a while. <laughs> maybe you should just chill. Yeah. What was daily life at an ashram I believe like? the excuse was that you were going to teach yoga. That was an excuse, yeah. <laughs> we can all recognize it now. <laughs> I'm... A little jealous that you had the existential crisis in your 20s. Oh, it's, it's ongoing. It's so, ongoing. Yeah. Right? Well, I don't mean to say great, but like <laughs> it makes me feel better about myself because I'm having one in my 30s. So, yeah, I want to know what was daily life like in an ashram? So you wake up at 5 o'clock, you meditate and do prayers for about two hours, um, and then you eat breakfast, I think. Wait, I'm sorry, not to stop you, but you're an atheist. Yeah. <laughs> Was it like medita- meditative for you? Yeah, I mean, oh, and yeah. there's, I am an atheist, but I also, um, you know, I was raised very, very Syrian Orthodox Christian, and so I find liturgy and like song worship to be very moving, even if I don't believe in the words or the spirituality behind it. So it was nice to like kind of zone out and listen to people chanting. I mean, the sound of people chanting is amazing, mm-hmm. regardless True. of what mm-hmm. you believe in. That's why I have a Gregorian chant playlist on one of my machines. <laughs> so I feel you. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so you do that, and then you do yoga for 17 hours of your life. Um, and then you flirt with cute boys that happen to be staying in the ashram for vacation. God damn it, my life. What are we doing with our lives? <laughs> I'm trying to live, I guess. <laughs> the American dream that turns out to be a nightmare. A walking yeah. nightmare. Okay, well, wow. So what made you leave the ashram? Uh, realizing that it was a cult and that it was probably not a great situation for someone who was already like had a tenuous grasp of reality to begin with. Mm-hmm. What do you mean cult? So, I mean, it was just like gradual, like a gradual buildup of being asked to do insane things that like on your first day, they wouldn't ask you to do that because then you would be like, well, fuck no, I'm not going to do that. But like, I remember like drinking probably three gallons of salt water to induce vomiting for myself and being like, oh, well, this is a cleansing. I'm, I'm doing cleansing. No, I'm just being bulimic again. That's fun. Um, Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's what that is. Yeah. Um, yeah. And Do you need like, to drink three gallons of salt water to make yourself throw up? Meanwhile, I mean, they sell turmeric cleanses that make you shit yourself. Why? It's India. Why can't you drink turmeric? <laughs> <Whole Foods. laughs> for a lot of money at Whole Foods. For a lot of money at Whole Foods. Or oh, discount at Marshall's is where I got mine. It's expensive. <laughs> Please, Marshall, <laughs> let's talk about Eastern remedies available at Whole Foods because I can go on about Weird. that forever. Yeah. Um, we, I'm very curious about the yoga aspect of it because we are like super cultural appropriation radar. Yeah. Um, so that is, I was very into yoga and I, you know, I still am. Um, I enjoy the practice a lot, but I have noticed in the last couple of years that I'm uncomfortable in studio spaces because I'm just surrounded by white people who are chanting like just really poorly or like doing this bullshit like they close class and then they like bow to the earth and like they bow all the way to the earth like because they think that's what indian people do and i'm just like no if, if you're bowing it's like that it, you don't have, like what are you doing you're just being what you think exotic ethnic people are. i think we've <laughs> talked about how i have, would like to do yoga but i have this whole like blockage about not not doing it that yeah like i want to learn real yoga from like Indian people and not Legit like yoga, not like white people yoga. <laughs> and, and the funny thing is, is that um, it's such a popular export that Indian people eat up that white people love it so much. 
and they will offer exotic retreats yeah. and things for them to go to so that they can eat, pray, love. God damn it, that's a market share. I love, Eli- I love Elizabeth Gilbert, but God damn it. Like that that was a that's a huge thing. A huge draw to India is like I mean, I did it myself. Like, right. that whole living in an ashram, that was my eat, pray, love, minus the praying and, like, twice the eating. So. <laughs> and then drinking the and salt And apparently water. sex. Yeah. Yeah, apparently sex. We oh, so it sounds like the most frustrating thing is, of course, when you're staying in an ashram, you're celibate. But across the reservoir, there's, you're, we're on an ashram. A d- <laughs> We were on a dam, and across the dam from where we were, there was, like, a a tiger reserve where they, like, you know, rescue tigers and stuff. Except, like, at 5 o'clock in the morning, it happened to be when the tigers were the horniest. So you could hear them (laughs) fucking going at it. And you're just like, God damn it, I haven't gotten laid in so long, and these goddamn tigers are getting it every morning. Sorry. Isn't that part of the suffering? Like, Yeah, I mean, I feel like it made it more spiritual for me. Like, okay, Priya, I can live suffering is a part of life. <laughs> There's your mindfulness for you. Oh, I, yeah. will go, I will go back to say that I am, uh, I, I'm Hindu by, by birth and practice, I guess, but when we end our service, uh, we do do Guru the Brahma, Guru the Vishnu, Guru the Devo, Maheshwara, and you have to you do get down on the floor, and it's mm-hmm. it's like you bow to the floor, saying that the people who teach you are above you, and that seems like an right, misappropriation. That's, that's of, a right. different thing yeah. than bowing to the earth. Like oh, that's about right. that's an Indian thing about like showing respect by right. making yourself lower it's, it's, than the person that you are. Right, and so I, I mean, I would get it if they made you bow to the yogi after yeah, class, no. but not bowing to the earth. No, it's, yeah, it's, it's all weird. And like, I did Bharatanatyam for years and years and years. And so I'm used to like, you Mm -hmm. know, respecting the earth for, you know, stamping on the earth and stuff like that. And, you know, we would do that to begin and close every class and every dance. But this is different. This is just like, ah, this is what I think I should be doing because I saw it on TV where, you know. That's bullshit, bullshit spirituality that has nothing to do with anything. drank the Kool-Aid. Yes. Yeah. 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 Mm. The non-lethal salty Kool-Aid. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, now I feel enlightened. <laughs> All right. Also, I just wanted to point out that Pooja spoke more Hindi. And oh, that's right. Yeah. That's our second episode. Didn't with a she say bit of something Hindi? like the only words she knew were ectothene or something in like one of the <laughs> previous episodes that we knew you were full of shit? I know, you know religious words, but you know, that's it. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I know like Syrian religious words. Because yeah. I know go I take know. a bath because I that's what they... I was told all the go time. Go take a bath. Go take you a dirty, bath. <laughs> dirty girl. Street child. <laughs> Okay, um, uh. <laughs> segueing on to why are you a shitty Indian, Priya? Oh, man. So, Anju had texted me. It feels really weird calling you I know, Anju. It does. What do you call her? Uh, Chechi is the honorific in, right. in our language, and I have called her that my whole life. And so I feel like I'm trying to, like, pull one over, like, be a cool kid. Like, yeah, Anju. And then, like, looking around to see if anyone calls me out on it. His aunt, and auntie, like, what'd you say? <laughs> like, her mom pops out, like, oh, what did you call my daughter? Her mom no. is a listener. I, so. I was more likely to get mad at her than anybody. But you get a I pass. Your mom. You get a pass for the next hour. Go ahead. Okay. My mom calling Chachi. <laughs> So she texted me and told me, like, just to warn you, we're going to ask you what makes you a shitty Indian. And I was like, girl, I have had 28 years to think about that. <laughs> um, I would say my Malayalam is poor. Um, I understand it pretty perfectly um, and will never speak it unless no one is listening. <laughs> me too. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I feel constantly out of place wherever I am. So I don't know if that makes me a shitty Indian or just a shitty person. (laughs) Like, as an Indian person born in America, you're automatically othered because you're brown. And then going back to India, you're othered because you're not Indian enough. And then, you know, growing up in Taiwan, like, what the fuck are you? Like, you are a brown person who speaks perfect English with no accent. So I was, I think... When I get really, really sad, my the thought in my head is, I just want to go home. And then I realized probably like two or three years ago that there's actually not a home for mm. me. Like, there's never been a home. And that's, I think, the shittiest part is like, I don't know where home is. I would like to have a home. I would like India to be my home, but it's not because it doesn't accept me. So where did you feel... 
I meant to say where. But <laughs> <laughs> one drink, people. She's had one drink. <laughs> Two. Two. Sorry. Don't listen to Pooja. I so. like that you're addressing Mike. As <laughs> he's judging you hard. Um, hey, Mike is very judgmental. I am. I am curious. <laughs> Um, when did you start feeling belonging, like you belonged somewhere? I'll let you know when, when that happens. When you find out. <laughs> yeah. It's... I'm sorry, no, go ahead. I, or, I mean, not in a physical place, but with, say, people. Um, this is going to sound super new agey. Um, I would say that I've never felt like I belonged, other than my family. My family is very, very close. Um, as you can see, I'm doing my cousin's podcast. Mm-hmm. So. <laughs> um... Yeah, my family is very... (laughs) And I feel like I belong with my family because they know me thoroughly and understand me. But other than that, the only place I belong is in myself. Like, Mm -hmm. I have worked very long and hard to accept myself. And so I feel very at home with myself, which I think is pretty amazing for 28 years old. Yes. Wholeheartedly agree. Snaps to the Snaps is better. Yes, check. I'm you holding Andrew's <laughs> You can't cheat. I was trying to be. I was trying to be a foley artist, <laughs> and doing it myself didn't realize. Didn't that was unnecessary. Changing rules. <laughs> um. Okay. Well. So let's, shall we? Moving on to um, why we asked Priya to talk to us today about. Yeah. Sex why did you ask me to talk? Yeah. I thought you would be amazing. On this podcast, because, well, I have family envy. Um, Obviously, this is not to say I don't love, in my own way, my family, (laughs) in whatever ways I love them. But I, uh, Priya and I ran into each other on Thanksgiving Day Mm -hmm. last November when I was in a shitty shitty place with my family and we had a conversation in the freezer section and in the produce section How of Whole Foods. and the wine section and the wine That's section the it was buying any groceries it was <laughs> it was one of those how long things. was this conversation i just thought it was like a five minute you ran into each other you know day. how you run into somebody you know in a uh, public place and then you're like see you later and then you see them three aisles <laughs> over and then you keep talking to them no, it was like that <laughs> <laughs> or you would see the first person who sees the other person would like turn the other way no, we, I'm the eternal little sister so I never do the just, see you letter later I'm like oh we're going on an adventure together now <laughs> we you're maybe the only person I've continued talking to in a grocery store ever in the his, well, like, in my entire life <laughs> so we just talked and I had super family envy because your family I'm talking to both of you, Anju and Priya. Your families seem so cool, at least from the atheist agnostic side of things. And then just knowing that you could have a real conversation. We talked about your relationship with your mom and how you were able to speak with her about yourself. And she knows you as you are Mm -hmm. as a a human being. And I talked... I think I said something along the lines of my family doesn't really know the real me, so they can't love me because they don't know me. Mm-hmm. Maybe my brother and sister-in-law know me best out of everyone. Maybe my uh, other brother knows me best because they're on my Facebook and they see all the things I write and they know me somewhat. I'm not like fake with them. If they were to ask me, I feel like I can be real with them, mm-hmm. but there's something special about being real with your parents about the fact that you have, um, and I'm speaking about myself, not Priya, but my parents don't know I have a tattoo. They don't know that. Well, we'll get into that with this episode. Well, I think, <laughs> I think, I think that's, that's pretty typical for Indians, especially Indian women. I think Priya's relationship with her parents is actually very atypical. And Rare. something I, yeah, I definitely admire how open and honest she is with her parents. Hi, Mom. Hi, Dad. Hi. Love you. Hi, Mom. Hi, Dad. Yes. Hello. (laughs) I feel like my siblings are way more open with my parents than I ever was. I don't know why. Like, I'm the Mm. eldest of five, and I'm just like, nope, nobody knows me. Like, by design. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) By design. So, um, 
But I mean, I do talk to my parents about stuff, and they talk to me about. Well, they talk to me about stuff, and I'm like, I don't want to know this. Like, that's not right. <laughs> I don't. Know. I don't I, you know. So, but um, no, that's that's cool. Like, I don't see myself, and I think I removed myself from conversations with my parents in the sense that y'all brought me to this land to navigate shit that you didn't have to by myself. I'm not giving you the secrets. <laughs> of it first of all and second of all like you don't need to know the daily struggle of what it is to be a brown kid in America because this was your dream for us you know yeah. so yeah. from yeah. there that started to like oh, they don't need to know I and then I started parsing things out but it's mm-hmm. not like I feel like I'm super close with my, my parents you know well my mom because my dad's dead and now he knows everything about me, and that's scary. Um, <laughs> well, the but reason... you don't have to deal with what he thinks about it. The he big... would think it was awesome. My dad was so freaking open-minded. He was amazing. So, um, But he would think it was awesome. So, I'm going awesome. to be jealous of everyone's parents. <laughs> I think the biggest, the biggest thing, and we're talking about sex and lies today. And I, I, <laughs> We don't know if they're one and the same or not. I don't know. It's become a combo package for me. <laughs> But I've never had a an authentic conversation about sex with my parents because sex was uh, delivered to me as this thing that I can't have. Mm-hmm. And um, the other part about the sex conversation is that it was rel- it was laced with religion. Like uh, I was led to believe that if I had sex then I would be cut off from God, basically. Or, oh, sex is only for married people. So I, and and when I started dating a guy, my mom would say, don't have sex, don't have premarital sex, when this kind of like crying, almost whimpering way. Fucking hell. So just like, <laughs> I, I've never had a real conversation with a parent about sex, sexuality. I wouldn't have a conversation about sex with other relatives, and I'm sh- pretty sure that my cousins and all, they can't have conversations right, about sex. Right, that's not a conversation you can have in the Indian community with your, right. with your elders. Can I say, like, I feel like I don't have that conversation because I feel like their sex lives are boring in comparison to mine. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, I don't want to find out about, like, your margarine-covered toast when I have marmalade of every flavor. You know, it's like... You're, that that won't be productive for me. You know? <laughs> like I know how to lie on my back. I got it. <laughs> okay. Now that you've gone there, I can go here. Yeah. I I've never ever spoken to my mom, and I don't care if I don't speak with my dad about this. But my mom and I have never had the conversation about sex. Um, because it was always with the idea that I would not only be cut off from God but be cut off from her. Like, it's this huge mm-hmm. sin, and I, as soon as I have it, I'm this dirty, dirty person, and I need to, you know, thankfully there's Catholicism, speaking of Gregorian chant, thankfully there's Catholicism to, for, you know, confession and blah, blah, blah. Okay, so just like, I couldn't have this conversation about sex, ever. And therefore, I can't be real, ever. So I have this family I'm not real with, Hence my jealousy. (laughs) Hence my jealousy. Well, you know, what's interesting about that is it's not just religion. My dad's an atheist. Mm -hmm. And... And even as an atheist, he feels very strongly against premarital sex. So... And that's something I've always known about him. So, like, it's not just the God thing. I think it's partially just cultural. 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 I mean, this is the country where you can't kiss in public without everybody losing their shit. So... (laughs) And then you end up with a billion... But they'll rape you on a train. And you have a billion population. So it's like... It's there. This there aren't that many storks, <laughs> and if they were, they were raped. Not storks. to mention that we're like the Kama Sutra or originated with India. Right. Like, I mean, you can't have yeah. both of these things simultaneously. It's very. It's, it's confusing. Yeah, it's confusing. And so, how many? I wonder how confusing it is for people that grow up there, though. Like. I feel like as confusing as it is to be confronted with Western ideas about sexuality while being raised with a more Eastern family and, you know, cultural mores, it must be intensely more interesting, like more... Way more shame over there than it is over here. How did that shame come to be is my question. I have no, no tethers to it because I feel like going along with the same you know, anachronism of the Kama Sutra being the basis of, you know, sexual education for the world, kind of. Also child brides. Like, so Mm -hmm. at what point did prudishness 
become imbued in it. I don't know. I mean, we come from a Christian background, and mm-hmm. the Christianity obviously has a lot to do with it, but I don't know that I would misogyny say... Misogyny more than Christianity. Yeah, it's probably more misogyny Christianity than... Christianity. <laughs> more than religion. Uh, two glasses, two y'all. Two glasses. <laughs> so, I, what I think is super interesting, well, two things, is that our fathers, Andrew's... Andrew. <laughs> Sorry, that's still, that's still not going She's getting the giggles. Yeah. Enjoy it while you can. So, <laughs> Andrew's father and my father were raised in the same house, you know, like roughly the same time. And my father has always been, you know, he's the person I can talk to about sex. I don't really talk to my mother about it. and But if I need to talk about it, I talk to my father about it. Wow. And yet you he's know. very religious. Yeah. And so like... He was the person I would confide crushes to when I was younger. He was the one who, like, told me... I remember watching Popular, which was a WB special. Um, I remember Popular. I remember the, the really I remember the WB. <laughs> <laughs> that too. R.I.P. Donkey Lips. So there was a Wait, character no, that, like... I remember folding laundry, and my dad came in to, like, fold laundry with me, which is, again, super progressive, like, doing, you know, laundry with your daughter. Um... And he was watching Popular with me, and there was a character who was gay on it. And I was probably, like, 10 or 11 at the time. Mm. And so he watched the whole episode kind of, like, silently, and, like, we were folding laundry, and he was yelling at me for not folding laundry correctly, of course, (laughs) um, because my father is very accepting, but also very anal retentive. Yep. Um, D- def- not not right child. <laughs> <laughs> that is no, a family trait. <laughs> but it's a family trait. So then the episode, you know, finished and he turned off the TV and then he just very uh, calmly said, so there was a character on that show who was a boy and he likes boys. And then he said, you know, in the world, there are some boys who like boys and there are some girls who like girls and if you turn out to like girls, that's okay. If you turn out to like boys, that's okay. And so, like, (laughs) (laughs) so then I remember like a couple years later, my parents, you know, when I got my period and we had to have the birds and the bees talk, like my parents had told me like, you know, if you, if you turn out to be gay, that's okay. Just talk to us about it. We want to be here for you and we want to understand what you're going through. If you turn out to need an abortion, that's going to be okay. Just talk to us about it and we'll be here for you. So I've always had the like, whatever what the- happens, it's going to be okay. Wait, first of I all, am more jealous. I have things to say after you're I am more jealous. I am now officially more jealous. Wait, 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 wait. Let's back up. First of all, your parents had the birds and the bees conversation with you? Because I, mean, I don't think I've ever had that conversation with my parents. My mother did the, Marjorie like, your body's going to change and, like, this is what's going to happen. Um, and then, yeah. Like, I mean, we talked about, like, periods and reproductive systems. Sure, my mom had, like... National Geographic maps, and she was all about busting them out whenever they came, whenever whenever it was relevant. <laughs> I did not know that. My mom was very big on the National Geographic reproductive charts this. and the whatever. She Hi, had, Auntie. <laughs> she had maps and charts for everything, but we definitely did not have the sex talk. That never happened. So I remember my sex talk was my mother read my diary and found out I had a crush in sixth grade and came into the bedroom one day when I was getting ready for school and she goes. She goes, sex is what a penis is in a vagina, and walked out. <laughs> and I was just like, yo, wait, what? But also, yes, sometimes sex is what a penis is in a vagina, but sex is also a lot of other things. That's like, what I was saying, margarine, other margarine on toast, right? So, so Missionary and, style. Right, and yeah. so I don't even want to think about my parents' sex life because I feel like my freakiness came from somewhere, and it was one of them. And, and, and um, like two weeks later, we had sex ed in, in sixth grade, and I was just the, the talk in sixth grade, and I was just... It's like, oh, she was right. And so, <laughs> Imagine that. Yeah, but going back to my siblings being way more open with my parents than I would ever be. I remember sitting, I used to, I'm a TV addict, which is ironic because I don't own a TV now. But um, I would sit in front of the TV in the den and do homework every single day, like for hours at a time. And my sibling, my dad had his office there and my siblings would ask him questions like, what's a lesbian? And he'd answer. Or, what's a virgin? And I'm sitting like, what the fuck are they doing? Like, <laughs> oh my god, don't engage our parents about sex. Like, they're just gonna scream a penis goes in a vagina. Like, what? 
But and and one time he without solicitation and this is the shitty part about you know like parenthood without solicitation like tells one of my sisters like if you're gay that's totally fine you know and I'm like well that's cool but she ain't gay so <laughs> I mean cool um, but um, <clears throat> I mean I get it he just wanted everybody to know okay you're not having a crush on but she didn't talk about boys like my sister and I did so he made an assumption you know but. Um, Anyway, blah, blah, blah. And, and um, I feel like I benefited from that. And I could say, like, when I first got my period, I knocked on the shower and made my dad get out. I'm like, Dad, look what happened. <laughs> and, he, and he immediately was like, close the door. He's like, go talk to your mother. <laughs> and I feel like I would, like at that point, like, my dad and I, like, reali- unspokenly realized, like, oh, we can't have our same daddy-daughter relationship anymore, Aww. you know? And then I didn't tell my mom about my period until one day she was doing laundry. She's like, what is this? I'm like, you don't need to know what that is. <laughs> And then after that, I did my own laundry. So you know, it's like it's like I like my privacy and independence, and it's really hard in a huge family like I had to have it. So anything I could do to keep that, I did. You know, so um, no, that's pretty cool. Like I didn't think my, I you know, brown pe- brown parents don't talk like that. So. Uh, my parents also that's amazing. Like, yeah. yeah, we were. I remember doing. A, I think this was when we were in Taiwan. I remember all of our family doing like Scrabble or something. My fa- my family is insane about Scrabble. Um, my mother saying about <laughs> games in general. Mm-hmm. My mother a new board game called Paperback. Danielle would like that. I will. I will <laughs> check that out. I remember. I think my brother tried to do like spell out masturbation, and I didn't understand what it was. And so then my parents were just like, "Okay, well, this is what it is, and that's completely natural. And people do it by themselves behind closed doors." And that was it. What? Okay. For me, it was a Catholic mortal sin. And to to hack on to what you were saying, I wonder if, Anja, you had a similar experience. I didn't get a talk about sex. I they just relied upon they relied on the schooling system to deliver us the details. Nope. And then the only thing they ever said about sex was, you can't have it. <laughs> yeah. You're yeah. not having this. Well, first of all. It was, you're not dating. And if they keep yes. me from dating, then I can't possibly have sex, right? Right. That was their logic, and it worked um, <laughs> for a while. What What is it about Indian families, by the way, with girls, where it's like, you can't date. You can't date until you're like... Well into your 20s, and then it's all of a sudden... Why aren't you dating? Why don't you then have a boyfriend? Why don't you have a baby? Like, yeah. I, I, it, there's no middle ground. There's no gray area. I had, you can't date in school, in, in high school. I had that too. Then you can't... And then once I got to college, it was like, you should finish your degree first, and then, you know, and then date. Of course, I didn't listen to them. And then, like, <laughs> and then after college, it was like, you should get focus on getting a job, you know. And then it was grandbaby fucking fucking grandbaby talk at i didn't even have a prospect let alone a husband which i know they wouldn't let that shit fly without a husband uh-uh. and they want grandbabies oh, so yeah. it didn't make let me tell you, let me tell you my story about that <laughs> okay please though so i was in my mid 20s and i was starting to get the pressure about you know finding a man or whatever and um cuz they wanted to have grandchildren which is not the world's greatest argument you need to get married so we need to have we can have grandchildren but so that was the argument and I being a smart ass joked back to my mother you know technically I could have kids without getting married and and I I was unwise in my choice of timing for this conversation <laughs> because my mother was in the middle of cutting up a chicken and she came after me with the big butcher knife <laughs> How healthy. I was like, well, see, as a microbiologist, my concern is like, but salmonella. (laughs) Maybe your mom was like, I have salmonella on a knife. And if you knew my mother, who was the sweetest person, who she's tiny and she's very sweet and very lovable most of the time. And I did not expect her to come after me with a large knife when I (laughs) joked about having a child out of wedlock, but that is what happened. So nope, never having that conversation ever, ever again. (laughs) Also, like for all of your family envy, knife coming after people with knives is maybe common in my family. Like it was about sexuality, but I definitely got the knife. But were you authentic when they were coming out you with a knife though? See, I don't have that. Oh, no, I was, I mean, I said the F word to my mother. Uh, Authenticity with death threats greater than inauthenticity, period, I think. Uh, I think you say that because you haven't been on the receiving end of a death threat. (laughs) Maybe. 
You know what? I would say for all of the death threats I've received in my family, uh, I'd still prefer authenticity. That's yeah. true. Yeah, I God. feel like the death threats I got were very elaborate. Not that they would <laughs> ever, like, not that they would ever kill me. Ironic because when I threatened people as someone death, who's interested in serial killers, right, go on. Yeah, like, like they would never threaten to kill me. They'd be like, and then you die. Like that's all it was. It's like you're gonna be left out in the cold, and then you die. You know, it's like that type of thing. But I feel like if I were to approach my mom with if I wanted kids and, you know, just be like, oh, yeah, I could have a kid out of wedlock. She'd be like, what are you waiting for? Like, that would be the thing. You know, I remember... To be clear, I feel like I needed to, to, to say for my mother's sake, she didn't actually threaten to kill me. She just th- stepped threateningly close to me with a large <laughs> knife in her hand while saying, what did you say? <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right, so let's um, pivot away from that. Um, just to generalize the death, <laughs> death threat, death and sex. We digress. We digress. Death and sex, I think, go hand in hand. Yeah, right. maybe. We can move on. Yes. There, there is a metaphor in art yes. in the 19th century with death and sex, but we're going to move on. Yes. So let's talk about dating in general, like how you started doing it, whether or not we talked about kind of how. Um, whether or not it was allowed. So when you were quote unquote allowed, how did you start doing it? And I want to start this because I feel like, (laughs) I feel like my parents straight up told me in high school, you're not allowed to date. And they never said, and they never said, um, you know, after college, you can date. They never said, I just, I assumed that continued like an overdue library book. I just kept it up, you know? And at one point I heard my siblings tell me that my dad was like he wants to put you in shoddy.com and and I was just like say what and they were like don't worry about it mom said you would kill him <laughs> if you did, if he did that and he dropped it you know and then at another point after law school he was all like um, you think we should start looking for somebody for her and again my mom said do you ever want to see her again no you won't do that <laughs> and so I, I, I feel like my parents well my dad tried to marry us off because I guess like to him that meant stability but um, my mom was always like no nah, my daughter's ain't gonna go through no arranged marriage right but but so they never said don't date they explicitly said don't date while I was in high school I was, you know we're still new to this country don't date you you know we brought you here for a reason please do the reason you know and so and so but my siblings all dated like at the jump the minute somebody was interested in them they're like guess what I got a boyfriend I'm like what the fuck and so <laughs> like, I'm still very bitter I'm very bitter about that because when it's time when it was time for me to look up and be like oh great now I feel comfortable dating I've finished law school I've started my legal career and, and I'm like, I don't know how to flirt. I don't know how to pick up cues about when I'm being Andrew and I with. disagree. Andrew and I disagree. About her inability to flirt. Her, about her inability to She's flirt. She's better than I am. She's better That's than I am. Sure. Let's keep mad how low that bar I mean, is. If y'all want to go out tonight, like, I can go. <laughs> We're going to do a field study. <laughs> I mean, I do know how to flirt, but it's only if I initiate it. Priya knows about research. I don't know. Like, last night. I went to an event last night, and there was a gentleman at... <laughs> I already told Andrew this story. There was a gentleman at the, the it was a, a, a drinking party. And, and so, um, a drinking party. It was a wine event. <laughs> <laughs> it was a wine event. It was a wine and food event. And cocktails. It was yes. mostly cocktails. So I, I go up to the scotch table. I'm making banter with the, with the bartenders. And there's a very dapperly dressed um, white man. White, white. White man, which I'm not naturally attracted to. Um, but he had piercing blues, blue eyes, and his suit matched the eyes. Naturally that- attracted to her? I feel like uh, maybe unnaturally attracted to. They're like pasty. No, she's saying she's not naturally. Oh, okay. That's not my so default white. setting. And so <laughs> I like I like um, chocolate in my chai. So um, he, he goes, so anyway, he told the bartenders, um, I'll have what she's having. And now when I told this, this is the third time I'm telling the story. Now I'm like, oh, that's where Harry met Sally. Um, and so I got, I, I just assumed he worked there. He was part of the Scotch brand, right? Like, why are you leaning up against the bar just chatting with people in line? I assumed you're there to network. And so I got my drink and I walked in the opposite direction. He goes, oh, you're not going to drink with me. That's not the first time I went and walked away. I'm like, oh, shit. Okay, hold on. So I go back and he ends up putting his armor on me and we take a picture, official photograph or whatever. And he's nice looking. And I like, I'm like, cheers. And I walk away. And then it wasn't until the next morning. I'm like, wait, was he flirting? Like, I don't know. I don't know, you know? And so um, that's, that, that's my struggle with the never allowed to date. But I did date. And it was, and um, that's kind of like what we wanted to pivot to. Like, how did you date if you dated when you weren't allowed to? Mm. Okay. First of all, I want to give you all um, 
a, a leveling as far as how bad we are at flirting. Mm-hmm. Um, a guy came up to me at a bar in Denton. I was at this place called the Harvest House, and we were looking at all the beers. And a really cute guy came up to me and was like, "Wow, there's just like there's like so many to choose from." He didn't have to talk to me. He didn't have to talk to me, and he was cute. But what I said is, actually, having a uh, a lot of choices is a paradox because people get frustrated having too many choices and it ends up being very stressful and then we stop talking. Could you also take out a gun and shoot yourself in the foot? <laughs> That's how bad I am at flirting. Only metaphorically. So I feel like Pooja doesn't hold a card to this lack of game. Uh, 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 once a man asked me, the only time a man has asked me, can I buy you a drink? And I said, yes, I'm having water. So yes. <laughs> I ended up sleeping Maybe with him. Maybe we are too. that out. But for water. I slept with a man for a glass of water. Two peas in a pod. <laughs> Two peas in a pod is what I mean. So I, my first date, quote unquote, was when I was a junior in high school. And it was for a band <clears throat> banquet. I just feel that that's like not even a date. And I had a huge <laughs> crush on him. But I would have had a huge crush on anyone who went with me as a date. And his name was Brian. And um, of course, he wasn't interested in me. But my parents didn't know about the date. Uh, we just met at the thing, and then it didn't go anywhere from there. And then even when I finally did start dating, sort of barely what you can call it, um, my first date date with a guy was when I was a freshman in college, which was finally where I was finally away from my parents. And I, I you know, of course, didn't share any information with him, uh, with them about him. God, it was just like so bad that I didn't date anymore, like for years until after I got out of college. So I feel like my parents set me up to be very bad at dating. And I think that was intentional. That's what that's the right. Indian, that's the Indian culture right there. That was me being. That was my scandalous story, everybody. So bad at dating, so you settle for the first fool that treats you well, like that, like well enough. I guess that's that's the show treats you. Period. Yeah. 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 Who shows up and shows an interest? Basically. Right. Yes. Um, God, showing interest is so hard. Is that the Indian way? I don't know. Next, just like next, uh, I didn't date in high school. I dated in college. At which point, I was pretty sure it would have been okay, but I was so it was so ingrained in me to never talk about it ever, <laughs> and it was awkward because I lived at home. So I'm I'm sure my parents knew I was terrible about lying about it, but <laughs> um, but yeah, it was just one of those like don't ask, don't tell things. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I was a bad liar. We're lame. Yep. Um, uh, save us, Priya. Tell us your exploits. No, make us jealous, Priya. <laughs> no, Tell us think, your exploits. I think maybe in keeping with the like complete brutal honesty with my parents, like I don't know if they were progressive or just like they dealt, they did what they could with the hand they were dealt. Like, <laughs> I was always going to be a headstrong. Wait, like, let me let me preface this with our family is very progressive in general. Yes, and then true. Priya is a whole another level beyond that. I mean, yeah, I was the baby in the, in the family, like, in America. Um, so, like, I was always... Kind and she of, was always very strong-willed. Yeah, so I remember being four right years on. old and, like, telling my parents, like, number one, I'm not having an arranged marriage. Number two, I'm not marrying an Indian boy. And then... Just, I told my parents know. that at 16, actually. I was like... <laughs> I will probably marry a white guy. Oh just my so god! <laughs> I brought home the third white boyfriend, and then they finally just like gave up. <laughs> I never no. bring people home. The last guy I brought home, I I, I wish I didn't. No, um, I didn't bring anybody home. I just was very. I just announced. My, at 16. my dad announced when I was sixteen. I think because we're living in America, I think it's time your mom and I reconcile the fact that we will not have an Indian son-in-law. And I'm just like, in my head, I'm like, whoa, progressive. I'm going to date everybody. (laughs) (laughs) Um, We could go on about this at length in another episode. Of course, we could talk about it a little here. But I felt like they finally accepted me dating white guys. But I felt like they would not accept me dating a black guy. Yep. That's like the far line. The And it's a part of that assimilation bullshit of Mm. Indians coming to America, trying to... Uh, aspire to the white aesthetic and to the white way of life and so basically when they took on like we said post civil rights era when they took on the prejudices of white America it kind of creeped into our personal lives as well so if I were to date a black guy 
I don't think that's I, the prejudices of I, white America. I think that's, those are prejudices that belong already, already yeah. in the Indian community. I think for my parents, I mean, we've had this discussion before about um, interracial dating in general, and their thing is, you know, like, it's going to be hard for you to raise children. It's going to be, like, it's just going to make the partnership harder. And, you know, I can recognize that having to go to visit my family in Kerala with a black husband, I mean, it just seems like it would be very hard for him. Um, Why and you as well. What about a white husband? My brother, his his wife is um, mostly white. Mm-hmm. And um, I have traveled through India with her. And, you know, she does get treated differently. And, you know... Is India, it more reverential? It's much more like... Or is it more like... Coddling, I think. Okay. Or mm-hmm. like, you know, just... Yeah, it is. it is kind of like reverential but also like oh mm-hmm. she she needs help or whatever mm-hmm. but i feel you like it's not even like my family that i feel like would treat any partner that i had that was uh black i don't think my family would treat them poorly but i do think that just walking around like goddamn with a black person like they i can't account for how strangers are going to treat them and that would break my heart yeah like, not being able to share this place that is partly home to me right with a person who will never have even a positive experience like i know the experience will be negative for them god damn it do better india do fucking better That's india funny, we were just talking about we were just talking about that um i'm i'm just gonna say um I have a slightly different um, history with this uh, because I'm from the Caribbean where it's Indian or black. And now I haven't been back to Trinidad in a long time, but it's Indian, black, or Chinese now in Trinidad. So, really? Yeah. And um, uh, Chinese people are literally everywhere. And so <laughs> I'm not kidding. When I went to Nigeria, there's a huge Chinese population there. And I was really surprised. And it's because they're mining. And so um, then I wasn't surprised. But... Um, <laughs> But uh, because of that, like, my family was around black people from birth. And so it's not like, oh, no, black people. But it's like, oh, no, American black people. They don't have our values of, like, Caribbean living. And I'm just like, what, what eat mangoes? Fuck? Like, what the hell? You know, I don't get it. And so Americans fucking love mangoes. Yeah. Let me just say. Yeah, I'm like, I can watch a man eat a mango. But, um, <laughs> just, but anyway, so, so I feel like. My parents would not have a problem with that. And furthermore, like... Who doesn't like mango? Uh, um, <laughs> oh, I've met a few. Uh, I will not date them. I don't trust them. That's how you know how to not trust somebody. <laughs> and so, um, but I feel... And plus one of my aunts, my dad's youngest sister, when she was in the army, married a black man. And my cousins are half black and half... They're Blindian. And so my family, my grandfather, um, you know, be, he was... It was not good for him. He did not accept. I never met my uncle in person. Um, and from what I understand, our family history, he was not a good person. And so when he was married to my aunt, he may have changed. But uh, my family, I feel like they would be accepting of a black man. My family struggle is like, Pooja, is there anybody at all? Like, <laughs> man, woman, centaur, anybody? Yeah, that's why I'm, I'm, at this Microphone. Point, yeah, I think at this point they would take anyone. I'm like, yeah. I got, I got a friend. Um, I, I call, I call it a hip hop. That's actually the technical name of my vibrator. Um, <laughs> and, and and that is the longest relationship I've had as an adult. So you know, going on because I just. I'm loving this conversation and we could talk forever, but this episode will be an hour and a half long. It really will be, yes. Uh, Um, We have only talked about heterosexual relationships thus far. Yes. Right. And there's a whole other hurdle for the LGBTQIA. Yes. I remember the first time I ever had anyone ever tell me that there was a gay person in their family um, I was a teenager, and I think it was one of my friends who was one of my neighbors, and she said that one of uh, the uncles, and uncles could mean anyone, but I think she was actually talking about a literal uncle, was um, dancing with another man at this wedding that she was at, and he was being very open and very, you know, he was very open with his sexuality. Like everyone knew he was gay and it was this thing that everybody accepted. And I would, as a teenager with no one talking about sexuality because heterosexual is the only way, you know, 
the only thing I knew, and then there was the, the the religious aspect added to it that anything not straight is sin. <clears throat> Catholicism. Um, so I, you know, it, it was unless you're Pope Francis, unless you're like, anyhow, <laughs> angry. So I, I. That was my first experience hearing that there are Indian people who are gay, which is a silly thing because, of course, there are gay Indian people. You know, now I can say that. But when you're a kid, you don't know. You do, I mean, other than the fact I don't know the technical term of it for the um, the trans women, mm-hmm. it, uh, that part of, you know, them. The like, and Yes, things. yes. So, um, we'll, in the show notes, we'll explain that more because I don't have enough right now to tell you listeners. But... Um, I find it interesting that we come from a culture that's that that can be very disrespectful about about that lifestyle when there's that like that's a very critical part of certain parts of India, you know, like and it's very uh, in your face, it's very visible. Yeah, like yeah, I, I've always found that to be um, a little. It's like the OG drag queens, you know. It's yeah. like hello, <laughs> you know, resplendent in all the sari and bling glory. Like that's the ideal, you know, but. I who wouldn't want that. Who wouldn't right. want that? I have a uh, I have a cousin who's a lesbian. She's out. She's proud, and my family is so okay with that. Like my mom loves her fiance. Like they are best friends. And so, <laughs> uh, and I wouldn't. I didn't expect that from my mom. I expected my mom. My mom is a very loving person, and she will treat anybody with respect because they are human. She loves my cousin's future wife. Like loves her. She's like my spirit took to her. And I'm like, oh, mom, look at you. <laughs> She and myself believe that sexuality is fluid and it just determines, like, I'm very... Now I'm very about attraction. Yeah. You know, it's not just a set. It's not... And so, along those lines, like, I find it offensive when people say, well, I have a girl crush on. I'm like, no, you got a fucking crush on. You are on the Kinsey radar, sister. Yeah. And, hey, by the way, go Hoosiers. I'm from Indiana. You know, I I got my (laughs) master's at Indiana University where the Kinsey Institute is. And they had a study there where they had asked a group of people a certain amount of questions and they would stand one through ten on straight to gay. Hmm. And they noticed that for a majority of the questions... Most people were never on the all the way straight and were never on the all the way gay. That everyone was in the middle. That there is a... They self-identified that way? That, But that through this particular study, I don't know about their identity, but in the <laughs> study, that the answers to these particular questions, and I'll try to find it and put it in, the, in our show notes, is that... Uh, and they do all sorts of studies like this with sexuality and sexual identity. And Kinsey Institute's amazing um, with that. But everyone fell in the middle. So it was, it's not like everyone's... I, I, there's this fear, and I think it's only that it only comes from how our society has treated gay people in general. Otherwise, I think people would like embrace their sexuality more openly and more bravely and it wouldn't even be bravery it would just be this thing that everybody everybody accepts but i think no one is on this all the way over their heterosexual side and it's not you know what i mean Mm -hmm. i i'm sorry anybody who saw brokeback mountain in that sex scene in brokeback mountain and didn't feel a little something downtown You're just trying really hard not to feel something downtown. That shit was sexy. Okay. So, so I feel like the thing that I struggled with was not just being Indian, but society not being open to alternative sexuality. So like if I had been honest with myself, I think probably as young as like eight or nine, I would have realized that I'm not entirely heterosexual. But, you know, like I felt like that wasn't, that wasn't okay. Like you know, whatever I was feeling or whatever I was acting on was just, like, a bad thing, and I wasn't gonna, um, I shouldn't think about it, and then, you know, it took probably a decade of thinking about it critically and, um, I guess, progress in society for me to be like, oh, I'm actually not what everyone else is, and that's okay, Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, it's still, like, I don't know, so I have a, a lover who refers to himself as by crutching straight where he will sleep with anyone and everyone 
Um, I love him. He's wonderful. Um, <laughs> I'm like, I need one of those. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's fantastic and his stories are amazing. Um, but he says that he predominantly dates women, which I feel like is pretty similar to me. Like I predominantly date men because it's easier societally to have a relationship or a partnership with someone who is like, like a heterosexual looking relationship. But I don't know how much of that is me actually not allowing myself to express my true identity and how much of it is me just being like, this is easier. I don't know. Um, I do. I think it's difficult on both sides because I do have a group of friends. <clears throat> they live in Washington and they're a lesbian couple. They married and one of the ladies is bi. Mm-hmm. And so I've heard them talking to each other like... Um, I don't want to say their names because I don't, I, but I don't think they care at the same time, Jenny and Mari. <laughs> but um, Mari would let Jenny have her man crushes, you know, because she knew that there was that side for Jenny. Mm-hmm. So I think that it's on both sides. Yeah. Like, even when you identify as lesbian or even if bi is not part of it, that there is this other side. I remember a girl being really frustrated with me because we were basically dating and like she would ask me all the time like how do you identify and for her it was really frustrating for me to just say like I can't answer that like the best answer I can give you is queer because I don't think any like hard label is authentic for me I can't say that I'm straight and I can't say that I'm gay I would say that I lean more bi than anything but you know like I do predominantly date men I'm hanging out with you and that's great and I'm enjoying it, but my next partner will probably be male. Um, And I feel like people assign such importance to it on any end of the spectrum. But for people like me, it's just like, it's so hard. Like, I know that people want that for me. They want definition for me and I just can't give it to them. And I don't think you should. I don't don't think you should have to. I, I, I... I, I firmly believe that, that sexuality is very fluid and it, you can't, if you truly believe in love, and I, this is coming from me who's the biggest cynic at this table about love, <laughs> if you truly believe in love, that love is not a gendered thing. No. You yeah. know, and, and so an attraction is not a gendered thing, you know. I know I have a friend who, for the, her 10 year anniversary with her husband, let him watch her sleep with another woman. You know, and that she's straight up straight. Like she is one of those people, you know, mm-hmm. and it's just like you can find enjoyment in any type of sexual act and yeah. it doesn't matter the perpetrator. Those of us who are raised in religions where the heteronormative, the heteronormative religions mm-hmm. will never reach that stage of questioning mm-hmm. where they will find their true selves and find their true, find their identity as far as sexuality is concerned. So for me, I have been raised by these super strict Catholic parents and I'm straight, at least I think I am, you know? I've never had any kind of questioning to a strong questioning that made me go, well, am I bi? And then of course, I'd be welcome to that questioning. But that's the thing, I'm welcome to the questioning. Mm -hmm. Even if I were to experiment in the questioning Mm -hmm. all you know good do it like i just feel like it is a jail to not know who i am as a person and why uh, and and the thing is is that there's a lot of anxiety that is that surrounds sexual identity god even gender like gender identity i think too and i feel like uh, what about people who are stuck in the jail of having had their religion shoved down their throat for so long that there is a sense of a, a almost feels real sense of fear surrounding questioning. I don't think it's just religion though. Mm-hmm. I, yeah. I, I know a very a religious person who who used somebody as a beard and refuses to come out to his family. And, and and this person found out after a kid was born into their union. Which person? The beard or the or- the, the, um, <laughs> the, the heterosexual partner okay. found out afterwards that her marriage was based on a lie. And I that person is very a-religious. So I feel it's more cultural than it is religion. 
Um, I, I, I strongly believe that. And maybe they're I partners in the. I, I mean, feel like I can partners see how, in the crime. I can see how the religion reinforces it, but I definitely think it's cultural. So this reminds me of something that your father says to me all the time, which he's known me since I was a kid, and um, since you were born, since I was born. Yes, your father has <laughs> known me since I was born, um, and he. You know, I came out as an atheist when I was probably 16 or so, um, but I'd known since I was about eight. And he, when I told him that I was an atheist, said, no, you're not, because I don't get the sense of, like, I'm an atheist, and I don't get this, like, the sense of questioning, the constant questioning of that I feel. Like, I don't feel that from you. And I think, like, I, I feel the same way about sexuality, where, like, I just didn't allow myself the questioning as soon as I did I realized like oh fuck like I've been lying to myself for a really long time because I'm 36 and I'm single and I don't talk about relationships with people I almost actually feel people are waiting for me to come out I'm not gay incidentally (laughs) but incidentally but I almost feel like it would be easier to just say that I was like that would be more acceptable so at that this point. They're, that's <laughs> having misogyny. experienced our family in like you know family gatherings and whatever, I would say yes, that is one hundred percent true. Our family would be like more okay with being like, oh, oh she just, she likes women, and then they're yeah. gonna be like, oh, we can start looking for women. Yeah, yeah. you know, yeah. that would be far more acceptable than me yeah. just not wanting to be in a relationship. And we're gonna talk about that because we're gonna talk about Rebecca Tracer's book, All the Single Ladies, which discusses the mass discomfort with a straight woman wanting to be single jesus christ okay <laughs> compounded with it being a brown compounded with being a brown single woman shit well we have a lot more to say in this two-part episode and we'll be back to answer questions about marriage and to play a new game that Pooja made up Uh, that we'll talk more about in our next episode. We hope you'll tune in. Thanks for listening to the Jilted Indian Podcast.